I thought of this story because it's a story of eating and fellowship before the Lord. And the eating and the fellowship has great significance in the overall scheme of things because when it ends, the woman exclaims, By this I know that you you have the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is true. That's an amazing thing for us as human beings to come to conclude. It's an amazing thing because we tend to go through life mainly concerned about ourselves, our, our physical wants, our needs, elevating those to preeminence so that they make up our main concerns each day and relegating then all abstract thoughts or higher thoughts about who is God and is he true. These, these questions that go beyond our everyday needs. We tend to relegate them to the back door, to the backyard, to the back of our minds. as not as significant as getting our meals each day. But in this case, the Lord took care of both, with the widow and with Elijah, and impressed upon both of them that the word of the Lord is ultimately most powerful, that the word of the Lord is preeminent, that the word of the Lord ought to be esteemed. And the word of the Lord is the key to our survival, to our existence, and uh, to our prosperity. The word of the Lord. We celebrate today. We stand here before the table. We've designated this Lord's Day. It's a day to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So like the woman of Zerah and Elijah, we eat a meal today. And we see that that meal is of much greater significance than our just eating bread and uh, drinking something, some libation, some refreshment. It's much more important than that because the whole truth of the Christian religion uh, stands upon this meal as it reminds us of the great incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ and of his work of redemption on our behalf. And so I thought it would be good to to look at this story of the woman of Zarephath and Elijah and uh, muse on it just a bit uh, to see what we might gain from it. Now, the time of their fellowship, Elijah's and the widow's, the time of their fellowship took place during a time of curse and famine. There was great evil in the land. They had one of the most evil kings in Israel's history. To merely say the name of Ahab and Jezebel, brings forth all kinds of memories of the wickedness that was done in that day of stealing from poor people uh, like Naboth in his his vineyard, uh, uh, of uh, abusing people, killing people, killing the prophets, abusing Elijah. So we think of those things. Uh, And uh, we live in a day today of great evil. And and the, and the, the evil that we see around us is often more verbal, or at least we, it seems to ring in our ears verbally even more than in, in reality in our lives. If the things that are said verbally across our land would be done, would, would be fully done to us, I'm not sure that we could survive. But the godless of our day, they make these speeches, they bring these, these things, um, 
just recently they're talking about um, uh, cutting off now the not only the salaries but the medical supplies of those who have not been vaccinated. And of course, there's no recognition of the natural antibodies of people that have the disease or, or the special vulnerabilities of people that might be might be uh, sick or what their health might actually be threatened by the vaccination and so uh, as one person characterized it this past week he spoke of a, a, a scale of um, a, a scale of uh, tyranny uh, upon the people and there seems to be no there seems to be no limits these days on what people think of it whatever they conceive they, they think of as, uh, as right Okay, I, I, as we, Susan and I were talking on the way here to church today about how um, growing up, I imagine you heard these things too, that people are intimidated by the idea of uh, theonomy or theocracy, the idea that the state would be run by uh, religious zealots that might impose their faith on other people. <laughs> and yet what we see today is that these same people have no... Uh, no humility or no reluctance to impose their religion or their extravagant beliefs on the, the rest of the people of the land, showing that they, in, in, in principle, they have no problem with theocracy. It just depends on whose God it is that's doing the theocracy, the theocratic, the ruling by uh, God or by his word. And so we can easily understand the, the day of Ahab and Jezebel. The wickedness and how they would just but because they had the power they would do what they wanted to do and uh, much like a, a smaller animal that's captured in the jaws of a more powerful animal and it's trashed this way and that way until its life is extinguished so oftentimes we see that this phenomenon that Ahab uh, conveyed upon his people to be the way the world deals with others especially with the church of Christ and so the immediate context of this scripture is the drought that was imposed by God through Ahab, using Ahab as his prophet, the one who announced it, the drought that was imposed upon the people as a curse upon the wickedness of the day. And um, Ahab himself reached the point where he had run out of food and was, his life was threatened. And so uh, the word of the Lord came to uh, Elijah, first of all, to flee to the brook Cherith, which, was e which is east by the Sea of Galilee. And so he went there and he was fed by the ravens. Uh, an extraordinary providence where birds, instead of simply flying overhead and passing its by, enjoying themselves, frolicking, frolicking as it is, in their own instincts and habit. In this case, the ravens were harnessed by God and brought uh, bits of bread and uh, meat to Elijah. And that went on for many days, and the, the, the brook Cherith continued to run to give him water. So out in the wilderness, he was uh, surviving. His life might have been especially threatened more than the average person by the fact that he represented the Lord, and Ahab hated this 
influence. And so maybe some of the other people survived, albeit rudely and harshly, they survived without resorting to these uh, these great extremities like Elijah did. But he had to resort to them, and so he was driven out. And he was over there. And then, but then the brook dried up. Again, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Elijah is dependent upon the word of the Lord, just as we are dependent upon the word of the Lord for this sacrament today. And so in his dependency upon the word of the Lord, God's word came to him again. And he said, okay, now cross over the land of Israel, the, the northern part of this land, and go to the land of Sidon, one of the great uh, Canaanite cities uh, on the west, on the Mediterranean coast. Go to Sidon, and there you will find a widow who will prepare, who will, um, will minister unto you and keep you alive. And so Elijah, at the word of the Lord, goes from the east of the country to the west of the country and goes to Sidon, and as he approaches the main gate of Sidon, he sees a widow gathering sticks. And through the census that God gave him, he identified her as the widow that God had established. So he went talked to her and asked her for some water. And then while she was getting the water, he had the temerity to ask her for some food. Right away, she says, I can't, I can't bring you food. I'm at the point of starvation. My son and I, I was gathering sticks today to, to, to make my, our last meal together to cook some uh, some of this flour into uh, a poor loaf, probably a flat bread of some kind, that we might have our last meal together. And so Elijah said, go and make this meal of which I have suggested of your of your uh, stuff, and uh, he said, then you will have enough to, for your, you and your son in just a, a matter of moments. And and then we will eat, and, and the Lord will, if you do this, the Lord will prepare. He will not let your stores run out. He will maintain them and keep you in them by them. And so the lady, the, the widow, goes and um, does that. Now, as we look at this widow, we see some of the deprivation of this day. I've said it was a day of drought, a day of of poverty. And so we see the woman, first of all, she's a widow. She does not have a husband. And so that those natural resources that we, if we're married, we have uh, resources of husband and wife who are able to work together, who form a team, and able to overcome many difficulties by their teamwork. But in this case, the woman was without a husband. So she was on her own. She couldn't ask her husband to go out and gather sticks for her, even for this last meal. She was out there herself. Um, her son, we don't know how old her son was, but he was young enough to be easily carried by Elijah. And so she's out there doing the work that her husband might do to gather sticks for, for this meal. Uh, furthermore, she was burdened, we see. She was burdened by a lack of food, and she was on her last meal, at, at least as far as she knew. And uh, she was in a place of desperation when uh, Elijah appeared. Uh, so this meal that they end up having together has this as its context. And the meal that we have set before us has this as its context too. Because we are a people of desperation. Without Christ, 
terms of the judgment of God and these kinds of things, what do we have? What provision do we have? If Christ does not uh, make up the difference between our feeble behavior and obedience and God's demand, how can we possibly please the Lord? And then what can we do to make up for all the sins of our lives? Each week we have a pile of them accrued from our lackadaisical behavior before the Lord, our lack of concern, our selfishness, our animosity toward the things of holiness and righteousness. Every week we build these things up. Who would we have? How would we take care of these things? Except by blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. How would we establish that essential righteousness that goes way beyond these uh, acts of sinfulness, uh, but actually equals positive, meritorious, loving behavior on our part before the Lord. Where would we obtain that except for the Lord Jesus Christ? So we live in a place of de desperation too. In the same way that the, the lady was in a place of desperation, so are we. But we have received and we have spread before us, just like the widow of Zarephath, we have spread before us the kindness of God. Um, when, it, when Elijah appeared before her and then began to uh, take up residency in her house, uh, he was provided with both sustenance and fellowship, providential fellowship, much like uh, John at the foot of the cross, or Mary at the foot of the cross. Uh, where the Lord said to her, uh, Woman, behold thy son, meaning uh, John, who was one of the apostles who was there. Uh, we find ourselves provided for by the Lord and given providential fellowship. This woman had her son, and there was certainly a fellowship there, but in Elijah, uh, she found uh, a wonderful new fellowship. Fellowship based upon the Spirit of God. Uh, a great man of God who had so many experiences to have a man in her house praying and exhibiting great concern for the kingdom of God so that not only was the kingdom out before her eyes of suffering, but she had a man in her house who had that upon his lips for prayer and encouragement who was a man of great honesty and great integrity and great energy in terms of the Lord. So her house went from being empty in that sense to being a house that was full of fellowship. And then each day, because Elijah was there, each day they were able to eat of the sustenance of the table like we have spread before us here today. God provided for them that which they had not. That was they had no ability to provide for themselves. Both Elijah and the woman, the widow of Zarephath, both of them were out of uh, resources in terms of what was humanly possible. But together, in God's providence, God provided for them. And so as they fellowshiped together at that meal each day, uh, they, they were sustained in their livelihood. Finally, we see this great kindness of God, whereby her son, who we don't know anything about this illness, except that it was 
don't know what it was, but it, it caused his death. And so faced with that, we again see the kindness of God. It, it brought about a kind of an emergency in their fellowship because the woman comes to Elijah and she complains and she says, what, what have you to do with me, man of God, that you've come to my house? And now my son has died. Is this some kind of a, a divine judgment upon upon me in my house? Explain it to me. And Elijah, in a sense, goes to the Lord with that same complaint or that same worry, asking the Lord, "What what, what have you done? What does this providence mean that this boy is um, has expired?" And so Elijah takes him in his arms and he goes uh, to an upper room. Uh, which reminds us, so many parts of the story remind us of the life of Christ. And there, going to the upper room to pray uh, on the night before Jesus was betrayed. So they go to the room. Elijah goes to the upper room and he prays with a kind of extraordinary prayer. I don't know how many times in your life you've laid down your body upon uh, a corpse of someone who has expired. And, uh, and pray, just pour it out your heart before them. But Elijah knew uh, the deprivation of this poor woman. He knew what it was like to be, uh, have a loneliness, the loneliness of a widow in this respect. So he prostrated himself before the Lord, begging the Lord three times. He laid upon the boy. Three times he asked the Lord to revive him and to bring him back. And then wonderfully, the mercy of God, God does this. Uh, God is able to minister unto our deprivations. God is able to, to be with us, to help us. <clears throat> Just recently, I spoke with uh, a friend of ours, uh, Lynette Blado, who was in Canada. And Tim and Lynette had been at the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and uh, Tim had finally graduated, and he, the Lord had worked it out through a certain number of pressures and extremities. The Lord worked it out that he was able to finish uh, his course there, and even he got a degree in counseling, and he was able to finish his practicums uh, and get those in in order to receive his degree <clears throat> in counseling. And uh, um, But after that, he did not have a call right away. He was Canadian. He Lisa called him to return to Canada, and, uh, and so this this young family uh, goes returns to Canada, and, and it, with a great sense of loss, they they left a house there in Pittsburgh that was unsold, and they left without a call. They left with very little money, not knowing what the Lord would do with them. Well, this conversation that I had with Lynette was on account of the fact that. Uh, I just found out from Tim this past week that she has kidney cancer, and she's going to have to have, to have a kidney removed in early December. Um, it would be done sooner, but this is the Canadian healthcare system, much like the Scotland's, which we saw, and so it takes longer. So, but anyway, they've. Uh, she said. She said to me. She said, "You, you can't imagine really the, the last three years and how." how deprived, in a sense, we feel that we have been. But she said, you know, in the midst of that time, 
the Lord uh, came to me and just reminded me that I needed to look for not the not the things from which I was deprived, but the things that the Lord had given us. And so each day she would focus on the little mercies of God that she saw around her. And she went from a state of discouragement to a state of happiness. And uh, over these, because the more she, she saw this, she, she could see how the Lord took care of them day by day, just like he did with the widow and with Elijah. And then she got this diagnosis of the cancer. Uh, but she said she was going forward with it with a great sense of confidence because she just knew that the Lord was with her and him and that the Lord would take care of them and bind up their wounds and supply all of their needs. And it was, uh, it was terribly touching to my heart to talk to her to take care of these strains of faith coming through from her. And so there are those who are listening maybe around the church from across the country. You may have seen the prayer that I put on Facebook about this um, last week, and they, you may know something of the case themselves, and so they won't, uh, I know that the Plato's won't, won't mind me um, using them as a, an illustration of God's grace, and especially the provision that he provides for us in the Lord's table, which parallels this provision that he gave to Elijah and to the widow of Zarephath there uh, in old Israel. Uh, when we come to the end of this passage, we see the, the title from which I drew the sermon, <clears throat> where the woman says to Elijah, after the healing, or the really the, the resurrection of her son, she says, now by this I know you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. It's one thing to preach and exhort each other with the things of God. It's another thing to have an existential sense that this is not just somebody's opinion, but it's actually the truth. This woman had responded to the word of the Lord in many ways heretofore, but in the time of her extremity, and in the great mercy of God and Elijah, she saw it as even more potent are important than she did before. We have these elements before us, and it's so easy for us to take these as routine, to take these things as they're so common to us. What do they really mean? And we hear the words, this is my body which is broken for you. We hear the words, this is my blood which is poured out, the new covenant in my blood. It's so easy for us to hear these words. What do they mean to us? Are they really true? Do they really have everlasting consequences? And we have to say, yes, they do. They're not just routine. They are not just words. We must live by them. And so as we're reminded by the story of the widow, let us come to the table with a sense of necessity and vitality. And let us eat and drink righteousness unto ourselves. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that thy things, thy holy things, would not become routine for us. But we know our own hearts, O oh Lord. We are able to take the most special things that thou dost give us and trample upon them in the sense of making them the status quo, the thing that we expect, the, the routine of our lives. 
so we pray this morning that thou would bless us through the story of the widow and Elijah. We pray that we might know that thy word is true. We pray that we might put thy word above all other things. We pray that the, the truth of thy word might give this meal its sustenance and its power. That we might see that by eating and drinking, that thou dost establish us in the beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name.